Open our lips, O Lord, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. The gospel stories of Lent are not the gospel stories of Epiphany. The gospel stories of Epiphany are relative to that season, the Epiphany about abundance, the manifestation, the unfathomable fullness of God being proclaimed in our midst. And so we have stories of people who are getting healed. We have stories of weddings where there is more wine than the village could drink, created out of water. We have stories where thousands of people get fed. The stories of Lent are about Lent. And they look at what's broken. And what will it take on our part to create space for the new life of Easter. And today is just such a story. Jesus had been approached by some folks who apparently are asking questions about people and an incident that happened up in Galilee where Pilate did this heinous act and mixed people's blood and all of that. And they ask him something that gets him to tell these two stories. And he says, oh, those, those folks in Galilee where this happened, do you think those folks that had this happen to them were any worse than the rest of the Galileans? No, but unless you repent, you'll die just like them. And then he adds to the story and says, what about that time in Jerusalem where the Tower of Siloam, and you remember maybe perhaps the reference to Siloam, there was a pool of Siloam, water that was right below the tower, and it was where people who went with physical ailments went because when the water got stirred up, if you went into the water, you would be healed. And so here are a group of people who are standing waiting to be healed, and this tower falls on and kills them. And Jesus says, do you suppose they were worse somehow than these other people in Jerusalem? Now, adding the second story and the first story together weren't just a coincidence because what Jesus is realizing is they're asking stories about who's worse. And so he starts with the Galilean story that they've offered because, in fact, if you were a Galilean Jew in the northern part, you actually were looked down as a little bit of a lesser Jew than the ones in the south who they believe were more faithful than the ones in the north, Jesus being a Galilean himself. And so he holds up and says, are they any worse than? Meaning, I know you think they're bad already. And do you think that group was any worse? Oh, and by the way, what about in Israel, you who think you're more faithful and you who found your own people having this accident? And Jesus is saying, the problem here is that you are allowing yourselves to be distracted by questions about who's worse, who's better, instead of your own repentance. And unless all of you repent, you're going to die. Now, repent isn't one of those words that we typically expect in an Episcopal church, do we? I mean, we don't do that. Repent, you know? And we need to listen to it. Because what we need to remember is that what repentance is isn't about beating ourselves up or saying we're horrific people, but repentance is the process of examining our lives to see what's broken and turning from that. Don't distract yourself by looking out at other folks and wondering about them. But what do you need to be changing in your own life? Jesus and Luke today are saying, the subject of today is repentance. What's broken? What's not working in your life? What's not working in your community? Examine it. Look at it. Like the fig tree, nourish it. 
See if it has some ability to grow, and if it doesn't, you cut it down, and you move on. Get away from what's distracting you. Luke holds up the theme of repentance more than any of the other gospel writers. Because for Luke, this is the way to the resurrection, to the new life. Examine, attend to. If it works, great. If it doesn't, cut it down. And in this passage, Luke has together, and Jesus, compassion and justice, compassion and judgment in a way that reminds us those aren't like some opposite things living in tension, but they are simply one in the same. Because if you have compassion without accountability and justice, then you have sentimentalism. And if you have judgment and accountability without compassion, you have inhumanity, and both of them are equally as deadly. And what Jesus and Luke are saying is, there is compassion, but don't think this fig story is just about God will come back next year and say, oh, give him another year. It's no big deal. Let it just keep taking up the space that's not being fruitful. No, God is saying to us, look at your lives, examine them, work on them, and if they still aren't producing, let it go and move on. Don't get crazy about it. Don't get distracted. What do we need to change in our lives? Where do we need to repent? Among the things I'm grateful for this Lenten season are the Thursday night Lent groups here, where we have been reflecting on a podcast series called Seen on Radio, and a particular series they have called Seeing White. And don't be confused by the title. It's not about seeing like hate groups. It's about how do those of us who grow up and grew up white understand the world? And what are the misconceptions? What are the things that we have accepted that allow for things to be broken in our communities, in our nation, in the world? And one of last week's, well, the theme of last week's session that we reflected on was called How Race is Made. And the narrator who began it talked about the distraction of race. And I would say the distraction that keeps us from repentance in race. And so he starts out by saying, you know, I remember being in my school and opening up that textbook that described the races of the human species. And a lot of you may have similar experiences. Your textbook, they said, mongoloid, negroid, caucasoid. And we all just accepted that was scientific fact. That's how it was presented, right? Scientific fact. This is, this is how the human species is broken up into these three races. It's science, which it isn't. But a lot of textbooks got sold, still get sold with that, as if it's a fact. In fact, it is real in one sense because it's affecting how we live politically and socially, just the other day, I was in this process of an application submission, and the office called me and said, we just need a little background information from you. You know, name, birth date, which is getting a little more sensitive these days. <laughs> I need to talk to a lawyer about that. <laughs> you know, address. And then she said, um, what race do you identify yourself with? And I said, Italian. And there was a pause. 
And the pause continued for a bit. And I couldn't see what was going on. I'm sure she's like looking at, and bless her heart, you know, she's trying to do her job. And it just says, get this information on this person. That's what we pay you to do. And I'm sitting there, you know, on the other end of the line. And there's this pause, and she's, she's Italian? And I said, yes, Italian. And there's another short pause. And then she says, oh, okay. Now, I don't know what happened on the other end of that call. I don't know if she called the supervisor. I don't know if she finally just checked off Caucasian or if she checked other and wrote Italian, or if she wrote pain in the butt, reject, <laughs> you know? I don't know. But there we are, just accepting that as part of what defines. And it is not based on any kind of science. In fact, what we were learning in the podcast is that race was created in the 1400s. It was commissioned by a particular ruler who needed justification morally for their trading of people for human trafficking. We have it backward. We think it's because people look down on others. No, it was intentionally having to come up with a way because this ruler was a Christian after all and needed to uphold the image that they were doing what God called them to do and so commissioned a particular scientist to come up with a definition of race so that we could morally justify the treatment of other people. And that continues through the centuries. Now, we need to remember that all through that time, there have always been voices saying this is not true, but the prevalent view that this is true is what held, and it's on our applications today. We can categorize people as somehow less so that we can use them to get more resources for ourselves. I mean, we have finally admitted in this country that Columbus, who was an Italian himself, did not come here to explore, but came here with the purpose of extracting resources to bring back. That Europeans didn't go to Africa on an exploration expedition and said, gosh shucks, these people seem to be less than us. Why don't we corral them in our ships and bring them back to our culture and train them to be better people? And when we colonized this country, we didn't ask those who were here, how do we live together? We simply took the land, and when they resisted, we called them savages and killed them. But we want to think that somehow it was a matter of we just didn't understand what we were doing, when in fact we were creating as a species a system to justify the exploitation of other people. And the trick in all of this is that we are sitting here in America today and throughout the world saying the problem of race is about people's opinions of other people. Now, there is some truth to that because, again, we still have the applications. There is still all kind of political and social realities that we experience from the categorization but a professor from Clemson who is speaking in this series says, our focus on the attitudes of others are a huge distraction from our change. Does that sound like familiar language? You're being distracted by things that are saving you from having to work on your own repentance. And he goes on to say that as long as it's about attitudes, then really at some point I can let myself off the hook because this isn't so much about me as my crazy racist Uncle Bill or that hate group, 
And if we just have enough workshops, all the stuff with race will disappear. Now don't hear me putting down workshops. They are important and they are one part. Because while we're all sitting around and the TV news channels are all talking about the attitudes of others about each other, the education gap of whites and children of color in Buncombe County and Asheville will continue to widen as they have over the past couple of decades where lots of workshops have been held. And if we just talk about attitudes, then the school-to-prison pipeline that young black men are on will continue to grow as it has for decades despite all the workshops and all the TV channels. Yes, there is need to talk about attitudes, but we can allow ourselves to think that that's the problem and let that be the distraction that keeps us from the examination of repentance. And so what the podcast is inviting us to do, what Koinonia is inviting us to do, what Jesus and Luke are inviting us to do is to stop asking, who's the worst sinner? Who's the bigger racist? Did I start all this stuff? Because those questions are like when the tower fell, and they allow us to stay in the safety of not having to look at ourselves and asking ourselves, where are my actions, where are my choices, continuing to allow the dead trees to exist, continuing to feed the death of trees around us? Where is my, where is our communal life allowing things to continue to be fostered about what the issues are really in the culture? Where are we not speaking up when folks say it's just about learning to get along? Where are we working to name to each other that this simply isn't about attitudes, but it's about the systems and institutions that still are in place, that are separating and exploiting people for the sake of others, educational, financial, legal? How are we both educating ourselves, but also working to change our own lives and the institutions and the systems in which we exist. That's the work of Luke and Jesus. That's the work of repentance. Let other folks fuss about who's worse or not. What are we doing to change how we function? What distractions are we allowing in our lives that we need to flush out? Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than others? No, but unless you repent, you will perish as they did. So where is God calling you and me and us as a community to engage with others who are already working on the institutional and systemic change? Those 18 who were killed for the Tower of Siloam, where they were sinners? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Luke is pretty incredible. Luke is the most expansive gospel that we have. It is the most universal understanding because in Luke, time after time, it's the, it's the lesser thans, 
It's the people who are religiously unclean. It's all these people who aren't supposed to see, who are seeing Jesus and going, oh my gosh, the kingdom, the realm, it's right here, isn't it? Jesus, we want to follow you because we see you. And we understand the life that's here, this abundance that's here. We see the banquet that's present in you, and we want to be part of it. And Luke also understands that the path to this banquet is found through repentance. 